Uh, Please stand. I'm going to read a few verses from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, our sermon this morning is about a question. What does it mean to call Christ Emmanuel? And in some ways, Matthew gave us, he gave us the punchline, right? His name, it means God with us. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. But we want to unpack that and see what it means for us personally, more deeply. Now, that idea that God is with us might land on you in, in some different ways here. Some of you might hear that and know it's true that God is with us. You see the present under the tree. You know, it's as if you have a present under the tree. It's got your name on it. You believe it's for you. It's not a mistake. It's for you. And you actually want what's inside. So maybe that's you. And so, Lord willing, you, you understand Emmanuel in an even greater way today. But others might struggle to believe that God is really with us. You know, maybe it's a sense of unworthiness you have. Or maybe it's you doubt God's love or God's goodness. And so you see that present. It's got your name on it. But you don't really think it's for you. Yeah, it's probably just some coincidence that it's got my name on it. It's not really for me. And then there's others of you who, who maybe hear that, that idea that God is with us, and you've, somehow you've lost a sense of the glory of what that, what that means. And so you see the present, it's got your name on it, you actually believe it's for you, and yet you're not sure you really want it. And so however that idea of God with us lands on you this morning, may God... Uh, help you to see it as the good news that it really is. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we get every year just to think once again on the incarnation in a more deliberate way. What a supreme mystery, what a glorious mystery it is that the Son of God came to us, lived among us as a man, never being less than God in that whole time, and yet taking on himself the nature of a man at the same time. Lord, we, we can't begin to unpack that mystery, and yet we pray that the goodness of it this morning would land on us once again. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're gonna look at this idea in two ways. First point is, God is with us in Christ. That idea of God with us, we want to accent the first part. God is with us in Christ. And then point two, that idea that God is with us in all things. God is with us in all things. So the first part, God is with us in Christ. 
Now, a lot of that story I just read probably sounds pretty familiar to you. There's Joseph and Mary. You've heard of them, very likely. They're engaged or betrothed, more technically. And betrothed is, is a, a stronger commitment than engagement. You, you can only break off a betrothal by a divorce. You can't just say, you know what? We've changed our minds. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strong commitment. And then we read that Mary was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's one of those, those uh, many times where the Bible is just so understated. It doesn't record that text from Mary that, Joseph, could we, could we talk today? Uh, there's something I need to share with you. Uh, and so Joseph would have had that conversation at, at the Starbucks, whatever, the, the, uh, the uh, Nazareth Starbucks or whatever, the Bethlehem Starbucks. And, and so Joseph is assuming that that's the end of things, right? And so he intends to divorce her until... He, gets, he has a dream, this angel speaks to him, or this angel speaks to him. And the angel says, it's actually of the Lord. The child in her is, is in her by the Holy Spirit, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now the logic of that is, is lost on us because of, because of the word Jesus, actually. But you have, to go, you have to remember, this would have been a Hebrew name, Joshua. So Jesus is just the, the Greek version of the Hebrew name, Joshua. There would have been hundreds of little Joshuas running around in Jesus' day. He wasn't the only Joshua in his class at school. Because Joshua is such a hero in the Old Testament, and because of what that name Joshua means, it means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. So that's why his name would be Joshua, because he will save his people from their sins. That's the logic of that. And then we get to our verses. Verses 22 and 23, the focus of our morning. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, and it's actually the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was was Israel's greatest writing prophet. So he would have been writing in the 700s BC. So seven centuries before these, these events take place, the birth announcement goes out about the Christ. And actually, there were other birth announcements that went out even earlier than that. It goes back to the very beginnings of our Bible. But this one went out seven centuries uh, before Christ. So it's almost like, a, if, you, if you can imagine, some Englishman in, in some medieval ancient village prophesying that George Washington would be the first president of the United States. It would be something like that. As impossible as that. Impossible apart from the Holy Spirit, that is. Now, when Isaiah, when Isaiah first spoke this prophecy, he was speaking it to uh, a dark time in Israel's history. So there were a lot of dark times in Israel's history. King Ahaz is king. He's one of the many wicked kings. Uh, you can go to 2 uh, Kings 16 to find out just how wicked he is. So wicked king's on the throne, and as wicked kings do, they doubt God's ability to save. And so when Isaiah speaks this word, it's actually, it's first a word of rebuke. And then it's a, it's a word of encouragement, or at least it should have been a word of encouragement, but it ultimately landed as a, as a rebuke. But here's how it was spoken originally, Isaiah 7. And Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? You know, weary with all this doubting and ignoring of God. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
So the name is the sign. This boy is the sign. And the name is Emmanuel, which is in Hebrew, three, three words kind of slam together. You've got the first part, the im part, which means with. And then the beginning part, manu, which means us. And then that last part, el, which means God. So the name itself means with us, God, God with us. So if you have an E-L in your name, like I do, Daniel or Samuel, some of you have that, or Eli, that's God, that, that little two-letter thing, E-L, if it's, it's from the Hebrew anyway, that means God. And so the name is the sign. And so there was certainly some historical fulfillment of this, uh, this uh, prophecy originally. So in Isaiah's day, there was some kid that was born, and yet when Jesus was born, it's the, the much greater fulfillment so Jesus is the much greater fulfillment in how it happens. That's the first thing. So in Isaiah's day, there was probably, what, what probably happened was there was a version, meaning an unmarried woman, who would then get married and then have a child in the, the normal process of things. And they would, somehow that, that child would be a, a sign, Emmanuel. Well, when Jesus, the much greater fulfillment, comes along, there's no husband necessary. The child born in her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That's the much greater fulfillment. So how it happens, but then also who it is. So when that, that original prophecy happened in Isaiah 7, and that child was born, that child would have been a reminder, a reminder that God is with us. You know, you look at the child, you, you might think of his name, you might think of him and how, how, how the birth, the, the, the happening of his birth, and that might stir in your memory. Yeah, God is with us. Remember that time, those great things happened. God is with us. So the child was a reminder but not Jesus. Jesus isn't just a reminder that God is with us. He is God with us. So when you have Christ, you have God with us, fully God. All that God is, is with us in Christ when God is with us. God's power is with us. God's love is with us. God's presence is with us. God the Father is with us. God the Son is with us. God the Spirit is with us when Christ is with us. All that God is, with, all that God is, is with us in Christ, when Christ is with us. That's the good news of Emmanuel. All that God is, is with us in Christ. So to have Christ, you know, in that sense, is to have everything. The fullness of God. So that's the first thing. God is with us in Christ. That's the Emmanuel promise, that God is with us in Christ, when Christ is with us. And now the second part, the with us part. God is with us in all things. The Bible is, is very clear of just, of, of just how much Christ is with us when it unpacks this glory that, that he's with us. This is the unfathomable mystery of the incarnation. Christ is all that God is. And yet, Christ became a man and experienced the full array of human experiences. Except for one, he never sinned. So here's four ways that he's with us in our human existence. The first is that he's God with us in weakness. He experienced weaknesses with us. He faced hunger. He faced temptations and attacks from the devil. He was tempted as we are, yet without sin. But he was tempted as we are. He felt desperation. 
So in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew says that he fell on his face and prayed. He fell on his face and prayed, collapsed. It was a desperate moment in the life of Jesus, right before, right before the cross. And he prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That was not a casual prayer. That was a desperate prayer. He would, he would finally do whatever the father asked. He would. He would not back down from what the father asked. But he would also pray desperately that there would be some other path. So he felt desperation in Gethsemane. He faced betrayal and abandonment by his friends. The misunderstanding of his family, profound misunderstanding by his family. False accusation. Complete injustice. And then ultimately he faced death. And so that's why the author of Hebrews says that Christ can sympathize with our weaknesses. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. That's amazing, isn't it? Son of God, infinitely, endlessly glorious, and yet because he took on our nature, a human nature, he can now sympathize with our weaknesses. Because he didn't just appear to be a person. I mean, that, that was a, that was a, a, a teaching that, that ran throughout the early church for centuries, that he, that he just appeared to be a person. He wasn't a real person, he just appeared to be that way. But no, he was fully God, fully man, and therefore he can sympathize with our weaknesses. So for almost every single thing we face, Jesus can say, I've been there. I've been there. And not just in some imagining, imagining kind of sense, but in an actual sense. I've been there. So that's God with us in our weaknesses. And then second, he's God with us in our sicknesses. Early in Jesus' ministry, in Matthew's gospel, there's this, there's this very vivid, beautiful picture of him encountering a leper. And you want to just remember what the Old Testament says about lepers before you dive into this story, just to feel the weight of it. So if you were a leper at this time under the law of Moses, then when someone approached you, you had to yell out, unclean, unclean. You know, you had, it's just almost like wearing a billboard that says, I am unclean. Do not approach me. And the actual commandment was that you had to live alone. So you have leprosy, which would have been horrible. You have to be, be perennially reminded that you are unclean, and you were unclean in the, in, the, in the eyes of the law of Moses. And you had to live alone. I mean, that's a life of torment and isolation. So that's what it was to be a leper in the time of Christ. But let's, uh, let's see what Jesus does. So a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. There's a lot of ways Jesus could have healed that man. He could have spoken a healing. He could have spoken a healing from a distance. He did that for people. So someone comes up on behalf of someone else and Jesus just says, he's healed. Based on your faith, he's healed. And someone in another village gets healed. But for this leper, who, you know, it's easy to imagine that he had never been touched by another human being, right? As a leper at that time. And yet Jesus said, no, for this one, I want to heal by touching him. 
I'm going to touch this guy who had never been touched by another human being. A touch of affection and a touch of hope and a touch ultimately of healing. That's Christ with us in sickness. With us in sickness. Now, yes, he healed the guy. And yes, it's true that Jesus doesn't always heal our sicknesses. But even if he doesn't heal our sicknesses, he's with us in sickness. For as long as your sickness endures, if you're in Christ, then he is with you fully. He will sustain you in that sickness. And even in that sickness, if it, if it, if it remains until you see Jesus face to face, you have the treasure hidden in a field. You have the pearl of great price because you have Christ. You have something greater than healing. Now, it might sound like just words, but it is true. You have something greater than healing because you have Christ. He's the treasure hidden in the field. He's the pearl of great price. He's with you in your sickness. Third way Christ is with us is he's with us in our sinfulness. Not by sinning. Remember, his name was Joshua, or Jesus, because he would save his people from their sins. And how he saved us is the way that we want to think of him being with us in our sinfulness. In Matthew's Gospel, he says that two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. So there's Jesus suspended on a Roman cross, a wooden cross, a a ghastly way to die, a brutal way to die. And it was intentionally brutal uh, to warn criminals from disobeying the law. And so these two robbers are crucified, one on, one on Jesus' right, one on his left. We know from Luke that one of these guys gets saved, but he's still a robber. And there's Jesus right between them, with us in our sinfulness. Again, there's a lot of ways that Jesus could have saved us, that God could have designed this, the, the, the work of salvation to happen, but the way it happened, Jesus was with us in our sinfulness. So these, these two criminals were, were experiencing what they deserved at a, at a human level. You know, they had disobeyed the law, they were found guilty, and we'll, we'll, we'll just assume there was some basic, uh, basic true justice that happened at that moment. But even if, even if not, they were sinners, and sinners deserve to die. Sinners deserve God's judgment. So they deserve the cross, at least in that spiritual sense, even if not in a legal sense. And we are no better than they. Our sins are no better than theirs. In fact, the sins that we know of in our own hearts completely overwhelm whatever little sins we know of them in their lives. So the, the, the words and the actions and the thoughts that we've, we've sinfully uh, committed against others and against God himself are infinitely greater than whatever, you know, whatever crime we know of that they committed. And so that, that cross, their cross, is our cross. They were, they were dying as we should die, and yet there's Jesus with us, bearing the cross that we deserve, receiving the punishment for sins that we deserve. And because he died with us on that cross, he was dying for us as well. He died as a ransom payment, a payment. Sin demands payment. And Jesus paid that payment by his own death, by shedding his own blood. So he dies and we live. He takes God's wrath and we get God's grace. He takes our sins to the grave 
so that we can take his righteousness all the way to the throne of grace on the day of judgment. And so we stand before God, the, God in judgment one day, not with our own failures alone, but with the very righteousness of Christ because of what he did. And that's why the word will go out on that day, righteous, not because I'm righteous in myself, but because of the righteousness of Christ upon me. He's with us in our sinfulness. He takes our sins, he gives us his righteousness. That's the third way he's with us. And then the, the fourth way he's with us is he's, he's with us in our dailiness. It is a word, I looked that up. Dailiness. He's with us in our dailiness. So the very last sentence of the Gospel of Matthew is wonderful. It's this great promise. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So you have the Great Commission, and then that's the close of the Great Commission. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And it's not only true for apostles who are also missionaries. It's true for all Christians. I am with you always to the end of the age. But the language is really rich. He doesn't say, I will be with you. you know, I, will, I will be with you sometime in the future. I will be with you occasionally down the road as, as you have needs on a, on, you know, here and there. No, it's a, it's a present tense, ongoing, active thing. I am with you. I am with you. And then that word always, I'm with you always to the end of the age. In, in the Greek, it's, it's actually all the days. I am with you all the days. And the way, that, the way it's written, in that all the days is written, it really means all the, the parts of all those days. You know, days don't come to us as days. They come to us as this whole collection of, of moments, don't they? So 24 hours, is not, that's not how we experience a day. We experience it as some large number of moments. And what Jesus is telling us is that in every single one of those moments, I am with you. I am with you. The happy moments, the disastrous moments, the humbling moments, all of them. I am with you always to the end of the age. It's a very powerful, just the presence of Christ in your life kind of promise. It's wonderful. Much more we could say. But that is the, the Christmas promise of Emmanuel, God with us. You know, it's... It's this glorious idea that God is with us in Christ. All that God is, is with us. But it's also just the fullness of the way that God is with us. He's with us in all things. Not just, you know, sometimes we imagine God is sort of up there. You know, he's, he's on his throne up there. And, and in some sense, he is. But the Bible is very clear. He's also right here with us. And as Christians, he's even in us. He's in us. We are in him. There is no, no greater closeness we could experience with another being, not with a spouse, not anyone, than what it is to have Christ with us as Christians. So if you're in Christ, you've placed your trust in him, committed to him as your Lord and your Savior, please let the full glory of that just wash over you today. May the Lord just give you a greater sense of the, of the truthfulness of that. And if you're not a Christian, if you haven't placed your trust in Christ as your Lord and your Savior, then I'll end with this invitation from Jesus. 
Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Fall on your face before him. Cry out to him. You are a sinner deserving of his judgment, and yet you appeal to him for grace and mercy and kindness. Whatever your past is like, there's grace. There's grace available. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Go to him. Go to him with all the weariness of soul that you are certainly experiencing and find true rest in Christ. There is true rest nowhere else. There's only that true rest in Christ. So may you find that in Christ, who is God with us, Emmanuel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of Emmanuel, God with us, that you, through Jesus Christ, have revealed yourself to us in such a, an unfathomable way, truly unfathomable, Lord. We can't get to the bottom of it, the depths of it. It's so beyond description. And yet you, in all of your glory, have condescended through Christ to be with us. And so, Father, I pray for each, each person here and all the, all the ways that they struggle to believe that you are with them. Uh, Lord, I do pray that through your spirit you would just wash over them today and this week with, these, with this truth that you are truly with them. Those aren't just words on a page, but it is a, a statement of fact from you, the God who never lies or changes his mind. Jesus, reveal yourself to us in our weaknesses, in our sinfulness, in our sickness, in all the moments of every day that we experience. Reveal yourself to us. You are here. You are here. You are with us. The treasure hidden in the field is ours. The pearl of great price is ours. The very fullness of God is ours because you are ours. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our eyes to behold that that marvelous mystery of Open our hearts, Lord. Let us bask in it more. What gospel this is, Lord. What good news this is. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.